Welcome to the Six Figure Practice Podcast. I'm Sasha Raskin, and I'm the founder of the Six Figure Practice, which is a private practice accelerator program, a business school for helpers just like you, and a community for helpers such as counselors and coaches who are building their private practice. I'm a counselor and a coach, and my mission is to help helpers thrive while changing their clients' lives for the better. If you're looking for inspiring stories of helpers who build a successful private practice already, if you'd like to discover how to create your own perfect clients, if you're wondering what are the marketing strategies you need to be using, and most importantly, how to combine helping others and thriving yourself, you will find all of this and more in this podcast together with many free resources on our website at thesixfigurepractice.com T-H-E, the number six, figurepractice.com And if you'd like to brainstorm together how to grow your private practice on your own or by joining our accelerator program, simply sign up for a free consultation call on our website. Hi, Joe. Hey, Sasha. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, having kind of a long day uh, in the middle of doing a um, day-long exam for my one of my PhD classes. So uh, at the end of my master's program, I thought, well, I'm done with studying. And that was not the case. It's self-selected suffering, Sasha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, a good... A good way to start would be if you can tell us um, what do you do, who do you help, and how. And then we can have uh, a conversation about the wonderful neurofeedback uh, business that you built um, on your own. And it's completely thriving even during a pandemic. So uh, we'll get into that, but kind of as an introduction. Sure. Um, my name is Joe Castellano. I am a master's degree holder in somatic psychotherapy from Naropa. I'm a licensed professional counselor candidate. Hopefully I'll have my NCE exam behind me and my license fairly soon. I'm a board certified neurotherapist or neurofeedback therapist, if you will, and a board approved mentor of neurofeedback. And I'm also a QEEG technologist, which is a quantitative electroencephalography technologist. So that's a credential to read and interpret uh, brainwave patterns and produce maps slash reports that describe what I'm seeing. And then I do, um, I run a clinic where we do several different kinds of neurofeedback. Uh, we do amplitude training, low frequency training, alpha theta, uh, live complexity training, which I'm really excited about. As well, we run stimulation. So that's direct transcranial direct stimulation, TCDS, also TACS, transcranial alternating current stimulation, random noise, pulse EMF, audiovisual entrainment, and biofeedback. So I have, um, you know, I've been out of grad school for a couple of years now. And um, for about a year and a half of that, I've been on my own building my own practice. That's wonderful. So you do a lot of brain magic and <laughs> kind of uh, in a different way than uh, therapists do it, uh, going kind of beyond talk therapy. And uh, what I love about your approach that uh, you um, combine a lot of studying 
and making sure that you as effective as you possibly can using the latest cutting edge approaches with some really good business skills. I'd be, be many, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to pat myself on the back for that, but I'm doing okay. Well, um, yeah. So maybe you can uh, start with uh, what led you to start your own business. Why not just uh, work for someone? Um, would, wouldn't that make things easier? Well, um, let's, so walking out of grad school, I was hired to run a clinic for a Denver-based neurofeedback company. Mm -hmm. A very successful pair of business partners who started that. And it made a lot of sense to me walking out of grad school to step into a job. I mean, sort of a unique situation because of my background, but um, to go and work for somebody else and get a year of experience on their dime, on their risk, and get a lot of clinical experience without um, being completely on my own. That was my choice. And then once I got there, I was like, right, it's time for me to go. Um, and how did you know it's time? How did I know it was time? Um, my vision of where I wanted to go was something that was mine and they had a vision of where I fit into their team and where as a clinical director, I would add value running a clinic. And, you know, they had somebody who did their own analysis and I was like, I'm really committed to doing my own analysis. I've been very well trained in how to do this and I still have a ton to learn. It's the brain. So if you're not committed to really being a student for the rest of your life, you know, probably not the right direction to go. Um, and I really wanted to be in control of the analysis and in control, I already had control of all the treatment planning. Um, but I wanted to feel more confident that you know, with neurofeedback, we're not, yes, I'm also trained as a therapist and I do use my counseling skills quite regularly, um, but we're not credentialed to prescribe medication, but we are credentialed, I am credentialed to prescribe treatment that modifies the behavior of someone's brain, including running current through their brain. Um, and when you're going to run electricity through somebody's brain, feeling like you really have autonomy um, as a clinician to do it your way, um, it's a lot of responsibility and shouldn't yes. be taken lightly. Um, but I reached a place where I felt I was going to do better financially on my own and would have more autonomy to work when I wanted to work. And if I wanted to, you know, carve out that on Wednesday morning, I'm going to go for a hike and like, this is part of my self-care and Wednesday at sunrise, I'm going for a hike and I'm going to adjust my schedule because I want to. And there's a piece of that level of independence that really works for me. Yeah. And so that's, that. Go sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, we're sitting here at four o'clock on a Saturday and I'm finishing up reports. Um, and I don't mind being here on a Saturday, but in the middle of the week to want to go for a two hour hike, and start my day that way, like it does a lot for my sense of wellness and my enthusiasm to, you know, work professionally in service to other people. Yeah, I think that's a big one, uh, at least from the counselors and coaches I speak to who went into private practice, freedom uh, being uh, a big value. And uh, the last one, the time freedom you just mentioned, it, that's kind of a, a pretty clear one for many. Like I, I can choose my own hours and yeah, 
uh, I don't have to work Saturday, but if I want to, and I, I do it for my own choice. And if I don't want to work on Wednesday, that can be my day off, right? So that freedom. But you also mentioned another freedom, which is clinical freedom. I can choose totally. to work with clients the way I uh, think would be best versus um, being limited. Mm -hmm. And there are resources, and for people who want to go the institutional route, I don't think that's a bad way to go. Mm -hmm. um, but I spent a lot of time in a prior career in corporate life and operating inside a bigger system. Like it has its, there's resources, there's people who can help you. But I've been able to build, you know, I'm part of a clinical group that meets every two weeks with Jay Gunkelman, and we all bring, you know, really unique, bizarre EEG, and he helps us go through it. And on the other weeks, we have a study group and we're tackling advanced concepts in electroencephalography. And um, so I've been able to build the resources that I feel I need clinically and with people I like working with. And um, so the resources and support are there. I built that for myself. And a lot of it, I really just like building my treatment plans and, you know, my approach to doing the analysis is, you know, it it's comforting to me and I really enjoy the work. Mm -hmm. um, so having the freedom to do it my way and to combine, I really enjoy mixing neurofeedback and biofeedback and brain stimulation and biofeedback and monitoring people's physiology while you're running current through their brains and seeing how their nervous system's tolerating it and things that are, you know, it's not that innovative, but it really, it's a bit ahead of where most people are at and they're thinking about this and to be able to um, use like clinical experiments in a responsible way and go places where I'm like my intuition tells me that when I'm running this stimulation protocol, the person is just not responding as well somatically. Their body's not tolerating this the way I would think it would. So let's just put electrodes on them and monitor this and get real data to look at it and go, okay, like how, where's the right level of where the intensity, like we want a certain intensity for a clinical serving of the stimulation technology, but not at the expense of the autonomic nervous system. And to be able to just do these things without having to clear it with anybody, um, let me choose my words wisely here. Um, I mean, these are ideas are pretty well vetted. I don't want people to go off and think they're gonna try this at home. Um, you know, I've had training in all of these things and I'm putting the pieces together in ways that are, I believe, innovative. Um, I'm not encouraging people who buy home biofeedback and neurofeedback equipment to start really experimenting on themselves. That's not responsible. So please hear me on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this stigma uh, about going into private practice that it would be very lonely and uh, you'll be isolated from the other practitioners around you. And you're saying, no, I actually created uh, those uh, communities for myself by, well, uh, I think some of them you started, some of them you joined, and it, it kind of changed throughout uh, the years. And uh, it's just your responsibility to create that and the freedom to it do it. It is so. your responsibility to create it. Um, you know, I mean, we just had a study group yesterday that I organized around, you know, a pretty narrow topic of Niedermeyer's electroencephalography. 
And we had a neurologist that I'm quite friendly with present on alpha rhythms of the brain and the default mode network. And we had 18 people there. And after that, we had an hour long discussion about, you know, what are the implications for neurotherapy? And, um, you know, I mean, it's 18 like-minded professionals and, you know, we can meet by Zoom and it's really nice in that way. Um, for me, I'm kind of an introvert and kind of an extrovert depending on my mood, I guess. But generally, I'm a pretty solitary human for the most part. Um, I have a small circle of people that I'm close with. And including the two guys who work for me, we spend a lot of time together. Um, and that's part of my approach. I mean, one, I have a vision of building something that's bigger than just me. And the idea of just being in a room in a, you know, filing closet of sorts with a lot of different clinical rooms and just being on my own, um, that wouldn't be my way of being in the world. So I've built something that's different than that, that's, that affords me um, a lot of different opportunities to have close friends in my work environment, to have a hand in shaping a company culture of continued education and ethical practice and supporting each other. Um, and it's really, that's, that's a lot of fun for me to see, you know, folks growing and coming along and developing their skills. And I mean, if you're going to go the independent practitioner model, you will want to give some awareness to like, especially, you know, 2020, 2021, Restrict, restricted exposure to people um, about where you're going to have that social contact because it's really important for your brain's wellness to interact with human beings. Um, but it can be done. And you can also have a bit more of a selection process about who gets to be in that bubble with you. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, today you're already uh, working... You you go into a group practice, which is um, just once again, you can be proactive and actually create the environment you want to be working at. Uh, and uh, it might be a good idea to join one at the beginning. Uh, so to do it gradually. What were the main challenges if you uh, rewind back to the beginning of your private practice? Uh, it wasn't all easy. No, no, no. There was a lot of real stressful moments. Yeah. So um, what were the biggest ones and how you overcame them? <sighs> well, in private practice, I mean, one of the big things, I mean, the work that I do is a bit cost prohibitive because there's a lot of upfront hardware and software expenses. So that was, um, you know, quite a while of making a bit of money and reinvesting it and making and really the, I mean, we're only a year and a half in. So, I mean, the first year was really a growth phase and it was lean at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, something, so that would be a big one. I mean, we were, we had a partnership with a medical doctor who was providing insurance billing for us and administrative support around that, which, you know, really the business grew so fast in that way. Um, but the margins weren't as good and that business got acquired by a bigger company. So now we've gone to a cash basis and we've rebuilt it now and we're doing better than we ever have. Um, you know, we're trying to grow responsibly because of the mm -hmm. current healthcare crisis, but yeah. um, 
I want to pause you for a moment because you mentioned something important. Uh, if you want, you don't have to, but you mentioned uh, that you had a big investment up front. Mm-hmm. Now, w- whether you mentioned the figures or not, it was way bigger than the investment for uh, uh, quote-unquote regular uh, talk therapist, counselor. Yeah. Way, way coach. bigger. I mean, yes. I've got one, two, three EEG amplifiers, two current generators, a pulse EMF generator, another neurobiofeedback device. I mean, none of these boxes are cheap. And mm-hmm. well, so how a, do you, uh, what would you, your advice be? Uh, many times counselors are extremely scared of taking financial risks right or slash investing in their business and of course different people have different um, abilities and so far building a business without any investment i have i haven't seen that happen ever no there's going to be but i mean if your investment is like a few couches and some chairs and a few things to hang on the wall like and little things to make it a pleasant room to be in that's not if that's prohibitive, then you're not ready to go. Um, and I think that it's really important. Now I've spent 12 years in the recruiting business as a prior career. So I have a different perspective that I hope is of value to people who listen to this. Um, check yourself in a Myers-Briggs sense of things. Like what is your personality? Are you somebody who like is totally comfortable going out there and getting business and talking to people and, you know, can balance like being self-confident and having some modesty and humility in the way you present yourself and yet still be kind of unapologetic that you have a practice and you have skills to bring to the world. Like, What is your mission to bring to the world? Why are you doing this? And if you're going to own that in integrity and be like, I'm here because I have a vision of what I'm going to do, um, then that vision probably needs the creative freedom for you to go do it on yourself for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody who's like, no, I really, that's not me. I don't like taking risk. I kind of like it when my job is like well-defined and here's the job description. And then if stuff is outside that job description, I have resistance doing it, my job. If you have an internal resistance at your place of employment that like I walk by the trash can and it's full and it's not my job to empty it, then like entrepreneurship may not be your gig. Because all of that other stuff is like a whole other job. And you're going to have to do both jobs. You're going to have to do the job of the clinical practice and continuing education and clinical support. And how are you going to, and who's going to be your supervisor? You're going to have to solve all of that. And then you're going to have to deal with where's my space? Is my insurance documentation in order? Do I have all my documentation on file correctly with the state? Do I have a bookkeeper? Do I have an accountant? Do I need people for that? If it's just you, you probably don't. If it's you and a couple other people, um, you know, be careful about trying to be your own bookkeeper. You might make a big mess for yourself. Um, So it's really important to check like what's your personality and what's your vision. And if you're somebody who's really passionate about like, I have a mission, I am called to do this work in this way with this population and I'm going to go get it, then, you know, there's a lot of freedom and responsibility that comes with being an entrepreneur, but it also gives you a capacity and opportunity to like bring your vision into the world. 
that if you work in an institutional setting, they may or may not be very interested in your bigger vision. Like you have a job to do. That's your job. It's this box. Yes. Nicely said. Um, When I talk to counselors or coaches who try to uh, build a business, but they feel stuck, mostly what I see the biggest mistake is they focus only on creating clients uh, and many times miss all the things you just mentioned. Um, so in, uh, in our pri- private practice accelerator, the six figure practice, we taught, we use the model of, um, uh, the triangle of, uh, marketing sales and operations or in different <laughs> words, be found, get hired, uh, and be professional. And you just mentioned the part about, uh, operations, be professional, right? Is how do you set up? your business as a business, treat it as a business and not a hobby and be very clear, is, um, is it your character to do that? Uh, or maybe it's not a good idea for you. Do you think, by the way, those uh, uh, skills can be learned? Yes. Um... I believe that almost all skills can be learned to a certain extent. And there's always the question of how in alignment is it with your personality? And for me, if I was going to try to be an accountant, I'm just not that. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. Um, it wouldn't work for me, but you know, this triangle you speak of like marketing, be visible. Now we had an interesting situation with my clinic because we could take insurance with basically a Facebook page, and a psychology today page we were basically on a waiting list when the pandemic hit in the spring and with no website yeah no website this is such no a unique situation when you build your practice uh to a full without a website and then kind of okay uh, i guess it's time for me to have my website i don't know that we would have ever gotten it done without the shutdown. The quarantine was the catalyst that actually, huh. I kept saying like, why do I need to do this? I don't have any, I can barely keep up with my workload. So mm-hmm. where am I, why am I going to not do a revenue producing job so that I can work on having better marketing? I can't even keep up with the business I have. Um, it was a unique situation. And with the shutdown and then that company getting acquired, well, that was a huge reset for us. Pretty painful reset, scary reset. Um, and we moved our office in the middle of all that as well, but we did get a website up and we've got a newsletter up and we've created a mailing list and got a website up and running. Go to alpineneuro.com, check it out. It's still under construction, but it's coming along. All right. And now we've rebuilt the practice to healthier than it's ever been. So, I mean, the marketing is really important. And the next piece of that triangle sales, you know, really believing in what you're doing is so important. Um, in my work, you know, it's kind of like describing the beauty of Korean poetry to somebody because it's EEG, it's squiggly lines. I'm looking at it and saying, you know, this is mildly concerning or this is very concerning. And people are like, I don't know, it means nothing to me. This might, you might be telling me that a Korean poem is beautiful, except these characters mean nothing to me. I don't know what it means. I have no context. Um, but they're trusting me that like, I've looked at a lot of these and, um, and I have confidence in what I'm saying. I believe in the skills and the mentoring and training I've done. I believe in the process of QEG based neurotherapy and I can sell that. 
I have an expertise around ADHD in particular, among others, but that's really where I'm the deepest. And when people come to me and they've been struggling for a long time with symptoms of ADD and ADHD, I can speak, I can sell that um, with integrity that I really believe that this is going to help them in a way that medication is unlikely to, in a way that talk therapy is unlikely to. And with this work that I do, if there's an inherent imbalance in the networks of someone's brain, like you're not going to talk them out of it. It just doesn't work that way. Um, we have to teach the brain how to regulate itself. And then the symptoms tend to go away. So the ability to sell that mm -hmm. um, and reconcile that I'm both, you know, a clinician and I'm a business person and I have to hold these roles and hold the tension between those roles. Um, that's part of being an entrepreneur and a very relevant part because a lot of people, um, let me take a little tack, different tack of this. Like, I mean, you and I met in grad school, Sasha. First day. Yeah, first day. Uh -huh. And it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but it's still, I'm astonished that you can get a master's degree in any form of psychotherapy and not have had one class in small business management. Yep. To know like you have to file you have to form a corporation. What kind of corporation? You're going to need to talk to an accountant. You're probably going to have to talk to a lawyer. What's your vision? Like, think about that up front. Uh, I, that, that was a big sigh, just uh, clarifying that. Uh, struggled with that for years. And I, I'm an adjunct faculty in the, uh, at a university. And all my uh, efforts to bring business education to uh, you know, a field where people a spend three years, uh, b pay tens of thousands of dollars, and get only clinical education, which is great. And good luck if you want to start your own private practice. Right? It's always almost as if you're encouraged to go only the employee route, which is fine. But what if you want to uh, do it your way? Well, and I mean it's. This is an interesting dilemma in the field of counseling, and we'll just uh -huh. call it that for the moment. But I find it interesting in studying currently for the National Counselor's Exam that there's a huge piece of the curriculum of this on research methods. And how many people who go to the master's level in psychotherapy or counseling, marriage and family, social work, et cetera, are going to go into research? Almost nobody goes into research without a PhD. Mm -hmm. But yet this is a big piece of the counseling exam. And that's interesting uh, we only have one class on that and when it comes to uh, i mean most people end up in private practice and if you really want to make a good living for yourself at some point unless you're going to be an administrator in a larger mental health institution um, to make a good living you're going to have to go into private practice you're yes. corralled that way economically mm -hmm. and it's pretty difficult. I think what you're doing is fantastic, Sasha, um, the six-figure practice, because there's so much emphasis placed on social justice, and it's so deeply important, and you shouldn't apologize about making a good living for yourself. You can't I think really help people if you're constantly under distress financially. I think it's it, they're so connected, actually, social justice and owning your own business, because you can create what, um, like that, uh, uh, money freedom for yourself, your family, and you're not really doing any favor to your clients 
if you're living paycheck to paycheck burnout and uh, maybe underpaid even and or waiting for the session to end looking at kind of being frustrated with your client or oh, come on already and if you build it as a successful business there's no limit to uh, how much you can give right if I have a very successful private practice and I have uh, pro bono clients. I have a client who pays $1 and it's all doable because my business is structured as a successful business. Absolutely. So, yeah. And we have, you know, several deeply sliding scale clients where, you know, we've people who come in here and they're really struggling and they can't afford it. And, you know, as long as they can work with us um, on the scheduling, and, you know, I mean, I have a hard time giving away a 5 p.m. slot to a deep sliding scale client when there's, you know, those slots are coveted and there's people who really, really want them. So, I mean, that's not fair to me to do that. But if they can come in in the middle of the day when we generally have some space um, and having the freedom to do that. Yes. Not needing to clear it with somebody mm -hmm. like it's just this person is struggling, they can't afford this, and I'm going to help them. And mm -hmm. I'm going to help them. Um, because it feels like the right thing to do, which is a huge piece of why I got into doing this work anyway, because I want to help people. Yes. So. And what I noticed is that if, if the business education is structured in a way that's a very uh, clear step by step and very, uh, well, emphasizes implementation versus information, right? Instead of reading books, let's just, you know, build it all, set up a business foundation for your, uh, for your practice. Uh, let's learn all the strategies for marketing, all the strategies for sales. It's actually not uh, rocket science. It's, it's pretty no. easy. You just need to do that. Like we, we have participants who post in the, uh, private Facebook group created two clients like in the first week or two weeks, right? It's, it's not difficult, but uh, yeah, it takes time and effort and investment having, in your business. And this is, you know, in counseling, people have a concern about like, they really want to do things right. They don't uh, say the wrong thing or give someone bad guidance, which is reasonable mm -hmm. um, with sales and marketing. And I mean, I spent, 12 years, I mean, a good part of running a business, not just as a recruiter or sales rep, but in the recruiting industry. And in that industry, the sense of like, I would pick up the phone and call God, hand me the phone. I'll call anybody. I don't care what, like they can say whatever they want to say. Tell me, you know, F off, go away, never call me again. Like whatever, hang up the phone, call the next person. Um, and to just have a sense of like, in a Buddhist sense of it, detachment, like don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. And don't need to be perfect. Like our website's constantly under construction and there's pages that are incomplete. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like we'll get to that. We had exactly. to put something out there. Exactly. Um, and in sales and marketing, being willing to try something, we tr started a newsletter and got almost no traction. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the guys who works for me was like, I don't know, like, what's the point of this? I'm like, dude, it's not the first newsletter that's going to make it rain around here. Like we're going to make a second newsletter once a month. I'm not going to send people an email every week. It's too much. Send them one a month and they might stay on the list and that's fine. But like, it doesn't need to be the most incredible thing you've ever written. Be simple, be to the point. Here's my service. This is my mission. 
I'd love to help you based on your condition, based on a given population I'm interested in, based on geographic location, whatever it is that calls to you about how you want to present yourself, be willing to fail mm-hmm. and try again and fail and try again. And uh, there's a certain amount of that, that to be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to try things and go, well, that was a complete mm-hmm. failure. Oh, well, let's try it again and see what happens. Like maybe it's not such a big failure the second time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a complete failure. We tried it three times. and got nothing like, okay. Like Facebook ads is not working for us. Let's not do that anymore. Um, let's go the psychology today route. Let's, um, for me personally, I like public speaking, um, about ADHD, about neurofeedback, about QEEG and more advanced topics and to speak at different forums, uh, is a really wonderful way that very reliably gets me new clients. Um, you know, I generally, I mean, sometimes I get paid to speak and sometimes I don't. But, you know, if I get a room full of people and I can talk about something I'm really passionate about, somebody puts their hand up and says, I need neurofeedback for myself, for my loved one, my child, my coworker was asking about this, um, whatever it is, like something good always comes out of it. And that for me is a really reliable and enjoyable way to get business. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss public so, speaking to groups, but anyway, yeah. what you else? Think, you you emphasizing that try comes before success. Totally. And Yoda had that wrong. Um, Yoda had that wrong because Yoda said like do or do not. There is no try. And huh. I would say like in sales, that's a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna have to try stuff and just laugh about what a failure it was you know, the thing you put on Facebook and nobody liked it. And you're like, Oh my God, no. Oh, what do I do with that? It's like, whatever, try it again. If you try it four or five times and it's not working, then do something different. Um, but don't give up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's well, really let important. Me, let me ask you this. How do your clients find you? We talked about that. This is not the most important question, but it is an important one for people who build their private practice. What's um, been most, um, some of the most successful strategies for you? And maybe they were different at the beginning of your private practice and from what they are today. Um, well, I had a lot of clients follow me when I went out on my own, mm-hmm. and, which, you know, has a bit of an ethical pitfall for a lot of people. I didn't have a non-compete and, it was, you know, I'm still quite on amicable terms with my former employer, but, yep. um, so that was from go. And then when we were able to take insurance, just having a psychology page and a LinkedIn page was enough. And a LinkedIn page. Can you say yeah. more about that? Um, it was just a basic thing. Um, having a profile and posting some research and posting research to groups and just kind of like letting uh, therapist communities know that I was doing neurofeedback and neurotherapy here in Boulder County. Cause there's not that many people who do it. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the word of mouth has been perhaps the best, the number one, um, the effects of neurofeedback uh, tend to speak for themselves. And people often have pretty profound experiences where they, you know, their symptoms improve quite dramatically. So word of mouth and, you know, things where, you know, some kid was really struggling and then he goes on a play date or to a birthday party and other parents are like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, little Susie's like 
shifted is just in a way more regulated place. Like what's up with that? Johnny's in a different place all of a sudden. Um, so that kind of word of mouth has been a really good source of business for us. And the public speaking, not quite reliably getting involved in community outreach work has also been helpful. Um, I'd be careful with your time around that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, you can, some of the social issues that face our society are so deep that you could easily give uh, away more than you really can afford to. So, you know, trying to find the balance that you have to take care of yourself too is really important, I think. Yeah. And getting the website up. And now, you know, since I've been doing more public speaking and I'm doing more mentoring of neurofeedback, and that's really also opened up a lot of referrals for me and getting involved in industry groups, uh, specifically, you know, in the neurotherapy world and people, you know, have a sense that I have a decent idea what I'm doing and they're comfortable referring to me. And, you know, often if, um, I mean, we've done, we put flyers up at CU, which is a really good source of business. Uh, we put flyers up at climbing gyms. I've been an avid rock climber for quite a while and, um, have a real, I mean, Alpine neurotherapy, you know, I used to do a lot of Alpine climbing and, you know, the love of the mountains and the love of this work kind of like brought me to the name. And so that's been also a great source of referrals and, you know, really making a point to reach out to people, uh, the parent engagement network, the national Alliance on mental illness, um, joy redstone over at the Naropa counseling centers. You have to have this sort of entrepreneurial spirit that like, a certain amount of your time and energy has got to be about building bridges to people that you're going to collaborate and refer to and who will collaborate and refer to you and be clear with your time. If, you know, if you've done a lot of collaboration with people and it doesn't seem to come back and you keep referring to them, but nothing comes your way, like you might want to try referring to somebody else as long as you feel that they're up to the job. Yeah. Totally. So in, in the private accelerator, we do it systemically, uh, building a network. What would your advice be, uh, not on the strategy, but more on the mindset uh, part of it? Uh, if uh, I can't even count how many times I heard counselors uh, mention the fear of uh, putting myself out there. Right. And it can be as crippling as, crippling as publishing a website right? Because it's not like the logo is not perfect. Oh, you're pointing to yourself. And, or it can be this outreach effort, right? There are so many people who can help you build your practice by referring people to you and vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. The cake, well, for lack of a better term, the cake is big enough, right? It's not a zero sum game. You can grow with other uh, practitioners together, right? And uh, help each other create a network of uh, people who help people. Absolutely. And uh, in terms of mentality, how should one work with this fear of putting myself out there? Well, it's going to be different for different people. Um, For me, publishing a website and having it be imperfect was something that produced a tremendous amount of anxiety. And I still have a lot of anxiety about what's out there because some of it, you know, wasn't all written by me. And sometimes I'm like, well, that language isn't exactly correct. And unless people know QEEG, like they're probably not going to know that anyway. Um, But my peers would know it. And that makes me Uh self-conscious. 
for the topics that I have built slide decks for, hand me a microphone. I'm happy to get up in front of anybody. I'll be just fine. That's actually, I enjoy that. It's fun for me. Um, picking up the phone and calling folks and trying to build a relationship. I mean, in my world, I'm always trying to build relationships with psychiatrists and neurologists. And, you know, many of them have very, very successful practices and they're not interested in what I have to say. But yet, sometimes you just like something pops up and just follow it. When you pick up the phone and call the person and say, hi, this is me. I'd love to hear about what you do. Here's, you know, maybe we can help each other. Would you like to have lunch? I mean, nowadays people are a little adverse to that, but maybe we go for a walk. Um, Joe, uh, yeah. let's do it. I love specifics. If so you question was about the mindset. Yeah. Um, and so if I could, I mean, in quick time, go through, like there's the mindset of marketing, which, I mean, you talked about sort of a portfolio approach, which uh -huh. you know, yes. until you know what's going to work, you're going to have to try a lot of different things mm -hmm. and just accept that. And just, it's part of it. I'm going to try this. I'm going to flip the rock. I'm going to flip the rock. I'm going to flip the rock. Most of it's not going to work. Like most of it is not going to work, but you don't need it all to work. You're only one person, but you need to put these, you get, get your line in the water and see what's going to work. Um, on the sales side, a certain amount of this, and this is where I think a lot of counselors struggle, is the notion of how to put yourself in a sales mindset that you have value. You've gone through a lot of education. You've written a lot of papers, read a lot of books, gone to a lot of lectures. Um, you've networked, you've swam in this stuff. Like you have gifts to give to the world. Don't uh -huh. sell yourself short. Um, mm -hmm. Really think about what your time is really worth and then ask that and say, this is what my time is worth uh, based on what other people are charging, based on what the market can bear without gouging people. Like, unapologetically, this is what my time costs. And I can decide that I'm going to negotiate or not. Um, you know, I mean, I to share a story before I get, you know, that somebody comes in in an M series BMW and wants a sliding scale on the rates. I'm like, dude, I mean, you drive it, you drove up here in a 60, $70,000 car. Um, why should I drop my rates for you? I'm trying to make a living here. Because um, it's expensive. The BMW. It is expensive and they're welcome to ask. And, you know, being clear as a salesperson, as a business person, um, where you're willing to bend and where you're not. And yeah. um, so being so the clear mindset of, and part of healthy boundaries is your own boundaries and uh -huh. being willing to walk away. If something mm -hmm. doesn't feel right for you, if you feel like, hey, this person's taking advantage of me, um, listen to that a little bit. Yeah. You can take it to your supervisor if you think you need to, or professional mm -hmm. support group. But um, the mindset of having a vision, working on that vision diligently, and like finding the joy in it of just the unknown, you just don't know. I mean, with counseling, people come in, you don't know what's going to come in the room when they walk in the door. But it's different when you have to like go out into the world and project yourself and say, hey, look, like I think what I'm doing is really special and I'm calling in these kinds of clients and this population and this is what I'm charging. And, you know, when you talk to people like you might want, if you're going to have a real referral relationship with people, mm -hmm. you might want to like get clear with each other about like, hey, where's your sliding scale limit? Like if it's the person can't afford to pay this, 
you know, where might you not be interested? Um, mm -hmm. These kinds of conversations are often awkward and uncomfortable, but it's really important to be willing as an entrepreneur, you've got to be willing to discuss the business details of your business appropriately. Um, and, you know, if you're going to take on as I did, you know, I mean, I've got an office, I have two people working for me, we're looking to hire a third. Um, something to remember as you grow and like, yes, there's an economy of scale. And if it all works out, you can do better than you would have done on your own. But as an entrepreneur, if you have some ridiculous thing like we've encountered in 2020, where all of a sudden, you know, the market goes against you, like you're the person who eats last. This Everybody is so else important, Joe. I, you know, um, I specifically am talking about how you pivoted your business and how flexible you are and able to adjust to external circumstances. Um, I listened to this Dan Kennedy program and he was talking about um, that crisis doesn't necessarily hurt businesses. It mostly exposes businesses that are not set up well and are not flexible enough. We have uh, one participant in our uh, private practice accelerator who is uh, offering massages, like that's his thing. And COVID hit and he cannot touch people, right? Especially at the beginning when, you know, we were cleaning surfaces all the time. That was like mm -hmm. the big thing, right? So um, found a way to pivot. He started offering online uh, packages, teaching people how to uh, do self-massage, especially for the face and the eyes. And people started biking. So, so it's like, you know, the ability to be flexible and creative and not buy into excuses. Could you say about uh, the importance of pivoting, maybe using your own example, how were you able to succeed even during the pandemic? Well, there's a few pieces of it. Um, I got very lucky. And right as we were about to go on a waiting list, I got a corporate account to process files for a chapter of the Denver Fire Department. And they basically brought a truck up to my office and dumped 45 sets of EEGs and said, here, we want you to process all of this. And then Was the it just luck? Uh, no, I mean, I made my own luck. I was in the right position. I'd thought about, you know, I mean, as a person who worked in the recruiting industry, to me, thinking about like, who am I partnering with? What's the potential of this, this doctor, that office, this chiropractor, um, an eye doctor, because I look at EEGs, and if the eyes aren't tracking symmetrically, I'm like, oh, you need to go see an eye doctor. I need somebody to refer those people to. Um, yes. Internal medicine. So I'm constantly thinking in those ways about building my referral network, which is part of being able to pivot. Because if you just think like an island, you don't have a lot of flexibility to pivot. And um, also important and something that I think gets lost in the current ethos is this like everybody needs to create their own job mindset. Like be realistic about your resources. And that's your time, your skills, your financial resources. And don't get into a situation where you need to pivot, but you have no resources to do that. Because mm -hmm. uh, that could be really... You know, there's a lot of people like go build your own job, go build your job. Not everybody's cut out to go build their own job, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people are. So being able to pivot, you know, we went into the shutdown with no website. And I was like, all right, like hell or high water, we are going to get this website up and we have to get this done now. Um, yes. We ended up using the time to trouble. We got our books caught up because we'd grown so fast. And that was a big project. We got the website. We got 
our te technology infrastructure cleaned up. We went through and tested every piece of equipment, every cable, like everything. Um, and just really said, all right, like in this uncertain times, what can we do? Let's do that. Um, and let's really use this time as productively as we can. And, you know, in the early phase of this, when everybody's like, look, I have no data about what's coming. It sounds really scary. I don't know. Are we going to get hit hard? Are we not? Are we? Nobody knew. Um, so everybody was really, I was very quick to shut my office down and pull all the equipment out. And then as we started to pivot, we got the website up, we got a newsletter up. We, you know, I was like, all right, during this time, I'm going to work on getting myself uh, asked to do talks and reach out to people. And be like, I like public speaking. I have some really nice slide decks. Mm -hmm. Let me get in touch with some organizations and see about presenting this material. And that got things going and something in, um, being able to pivot really involves a mindset of determinants, duration that you are going to endure. Um, whatever this comes to, and I've been through in my Wall Street career, the rise and fall of the dot-coms, um, the rise and collapse of recruiting for automated trading, the rise and collapse of the mortgage market, 9-11. Um, so I mean, this is for me, like my fifth recession. So one of the things that I said to, I, mean, I had one employee and then two, was like, we may not be able to really measure our progress during this time, but we're gonna try in a calm, focused way to every day get up and work on something, mm -hmm. try and figure it out. I'm gonna do heart rate variability training by Zoom. Did that work? Not really, so we stopped doing it. Um, could it work? Sure. If somebody was really passionate about that work, they would call it in. I'm not that passionate. I mean, I believe in it, but I'm not, it's not my passion. Um, and that enthusiasm, people, it's contagious. People just feel, if you really love what you do, people are going to feel that. But yes. to be able to pivot involves being able to see opportunities sometimes that are missed by others. And even seeing that what you have to do, even if there's 10 other people offering the same thing, if you believe in yourself that you can do this work skillfully, then do it. Mm -hmm. And really like every step, every day, get up. I got to work on time. Okay. I got to work on time and I'm working on these things. And for me, like whenever I feel like I'm, my compass is, wavering like to just get clear about like these are my priorities let me write them down on my board and be like okay i'm going to write down everything i need to get done and it's going to sit until i cross it all off the list mm -hmm. um and to be an entrepreneur um you have to wear a lot of hats so there's a time to be in the operations role there's a time to be in marketing there's a time to be in sales there's a time that you have to retreat and not surrender, but retreat and just take care of yourself. Mm. Um, and in order to pivot, I mean, some people have a really good knack. I believe that's one of my skills is being, I mean, I got introduced to recruiting or uh, neurofeedback eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And just instantly, I was like, this is going to change everything. I yep. so believe that. I believed it then. I've never looked back. I've never questioned myself about that. And when I hear people who are like questioning it and doubting it, I'm like, whatever. I'm not trying to convince them. They've already made their mind up. 
I'm interested in that person and that person. Yep. I want to tell you about what I can do for you, how this can help you. Um, if you're interested, if you want to know about it and you know, I'm really clear, I refer out for counseling. I almost no counseling clients on my caseload anymore. It's all, and the stuff is that I do do is stimulation based. So mm -hmm. somebody has issues with executive function and then we may run beta frequencies through your frontal lobe and hand you a clipboard and have you work through your task list and create it while we're actually helping your brain do it. And then I didn't write it for you. You wrote it. We gave you a little nudge. Um, and I believe in this work. So, I mean, to be able to pivot in difficult times requires um, a sense of determination, not forcing it, but just like an internal well that I believe in what I'm here to do. I believe this work is going to help people. And whatever the world throws at me, no matter how blown out and defeated I feel when I get home at six or seven o'clock at night, I'm going to do my best to take care of myself and get up and try to meet the day with a cheerful attitude mm. and try again and keep trying. And over time, like everybody has to go through this, like phases of forming a group. There's no way around the storming phase. You're not going to do that. Um, if you're going to really build a private practice, you're going to have to believe in yourself when people will question you and will tell you about why they doubt you. And you're going to need to hear it, check yourself and say, okay, is there something for me to learn here? Is there a skill I need to develop? Is there something in the way I presented myself that seems uncertain about my mission and that they're picking up on? And the more in alignment you are with what you're here to do. Like I, for me, like the motivation comes much easier. Um, and also, I mean, a little lost, maybe not the right spot in the conversation, but to be an entrepreneur, there's a certain amount of like, you're going to have to attend to whatever your Achilles heel is in this pile. Mm -hmm. um, it could be bookkeeping. It could be administrative work. It could be the website, probably the website, like, you know, you're probably going to have to write most of it yourself, but like hand that stuff off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be what you're not. Um, you know, you're going to have to build up your resources to afford it. But if something is really just so out of alignment and so difficult and such a struggle for you mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, you're going to probably want to hire a consultant who's going to come in and do that. Yes. So your okay. time is best spent doing the thing that makes your heart sing. No need to do it on your own. You know, there are three ways I think uh, someone can go their business. You can DIY it, do it yourself. Um, you can um, hire other people to do it all for you, uh, uh, done for you, DFY, or you can do it, uh, you can go with the DIW approach, do, uh, do it with you. And um, I probably got the acronyms uh, totally mixed. That's my ADHD speaking out here. And uh, yeah, you can hire someone to write your text or you can join our program and we'll teach you how to write a good marketing text that feels authentic. And it's not, again, not a rocket science. You don't have to do this alone. And I don't think it's a coincidence, Joe, that you built your, you know, you reached uh, a point of a waiting list, like I think like in a, less than a year or so because you had all this business experience 
that many counselors and coaches and uh, people who go into private practice are lacking. So uh, whether it's with us or with someone else, definitely advise anyone who listens to this right now to go and get that education. You already know how to help people. Now you need to, uh, if you go into your own private practice, learn how to get those people uh, to help. Um, You know, I had a 12 year prior career in recruiting. So I came up the ranks as a junior recruiter, recruiter, senior recruiter, sales rep, senior sales rep, time at a large hedge fund on the corporate side, um, seven years of running my own recruiting business and managing a team of people who are doing this work. And that is definitely shaped um, my perspective um, of how to hold the tension between being a clinician and analyst and a business person, and you have to hold the tension. Like there's no way around that if you're going to go off on your own. And you're going to want to think about, um, you know, what Sasha said, this wraparound and getting your mindset to like, oh, I would refer for this. Well, then you need a person in that box. I would refer people for that. Well, then you need to go get a person who's in that box and you're probably going to have to go get them. A chiropractor, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, an acupuncturist. You're going to want um, someone who does spiritual healing work or someone who does divination or somebody who's a neurologist, like all of these things. I want somebody who's doing psychedelic assisted therapy. I'm not going to do that. I need somebody who does that so that when it comes up, I go, great, here's my one, two, three. I need a somatic therapist. Here's my one, two, three. And when you funnel people out enough, like it will come back to you in ways and you'll never be able to predict. It's my experience, like trying to predict who's going to refer who or what or somebody. Sasha gets an account and the new account that he's got has got a group of people and those group of people are. And all of a sudden I get a pile of referrals. That's amazing. Like it didn't know it was going to happen, but sometimes it just does. But you have to be up at bat a lot of times. And when it comes to things like writing a website or business card, logo design, like if it's not your jam, just hire somebody. Mm-hmm. And you can draw it on a whiteboard or you can give it a shot. But um, I'm a big believer that like in general, the bulk of your time should be spent on the things that make your heart sing. Yes. Um, and the things that are really your Achilles heels. That's where I look to hire somebody. I'm not so- interested in being my own bookkeeper. This has been so inspiring. Thank you for this wealth of information. Uh, if people want to find you, what's your website? Alpineneuro.com. Alpine, A-L-P-I-N-E, neuro, N-E-U-R-O.com. I'm here in South Boulder, and we're pretty close to being on a waiting list now, but we do have amplifiers coming in for remote neurotherapy. So um, come check it out, and feel free to reach out to me if you found this helpful. Take care, Joe. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Sasha.